0: Welcome heroes to the Crit Academy. I'm your host Justin.
1: And I'm your co-host Ryan. This podcast was created to
0: provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs.
1: We hope to inspire you with creative content that you could bring with you on your next adventure.
0: Thanks for joining us today at the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter.
1: (laughs) Yep, that's (laughs) right. Your roles are like a bard without any inspiration. Joining us again today is our friend Ian. Hi Ian. Hello. How you doing today?
2: Pretty awesome. Always great to be here. Of course it is. We're fantastic.
1: Our main topic for today is feats and customization and how you can utilize those to create a unique character.
0: In addition to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, which, once again, is my personal favorite. Before we get to our main topic, we have a question from Angry Cannibal on Reddit. He is a level 5 light domain cleric. I find myself using my domain spells for damage, and I have taken a few healing spells, but I still have quite a few spell choices left. What are some good, fun, useful utility spells that I can add?
2: Okay, first off, I play a level 6, Lake Domain Cleric, in the Adventure League, and I love you a good fireball. But...
0: Wait, 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 wait. You made it to level 6 in the Adventure League?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And reset yet? That's
0: impressive. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or is there like four of you? There's like
2: three of us consistently. Okay, well
0: that's good. Sorry, I didn't mean to digress. <laughs> I just, I've been to those and I've never felt like I could get past higher level right. 4. Yep. So as uh, so you kind of understand where uh, Angry Cannibal's coming from, then. Yeah, I do. Do you have any utility spells you use that you frequent?
2: Yeah, I also have to, like to prepare like um, dispel magic as a, as a as a backup. That always seems to be something that's good, good to have.
0: Any particular reason why?
2: Well, if you come up against an enemy that keeps teleporting or keeps clearing himself or some some, some some sort of barrier. Is a <laughs> Is that a third level spell? Yeah. First, third level or first level? Th- third level. And remove curse in the same vein too. Huh?
1: Essentially what Dispel Magic does is it lets you get rid of one either magical effect that may be hindering or harmful towards your party, or a magical effect that might be helpful, to- helpful towards your enemy.
2: And another g- g- <clears throat> one that you is, uh, no, I have to is, now I always get the pronunciation for this one screwed up, Re- Revivify.
1: Revivify. Yeah, that that way. Yeah, yeah. Revivify is always it's a healing though, right? No, it's a revive.
2: Like like you're well, dead. I'd still classify that as like healing. Yeah, spell, if right?
1: someone dies, you can use it within a minute of them dying and bring them back to life.
2: Oh, that's pretty badass. I mean, you gotta bring like gold to do it though, but still. <laughs> yeah, that's... I think
1: Revivify is the one that doesn't cost money. No, no, it does cost money. <laughs> does
2: it? If you're bringing somebody back to life, you're spending money. But
0: I think uh, he was more alluding to things not regarding healing or damage. Right. So sure, some sure, things sure. that I I personally think as a cleric are a must have is bless. It allows them. It takes concentration, but it allows each player to during an attack roll add an additional one d four die to their attack roll for the duration of the spell, which is one minute.
2: And in theory, that's up to. Plus 20% of your odds if you referral max. Right,
0: and that's to me that's huge. I right. mean, even just a single plus one increases your odds significantly.
2: And that's and that's 5% right there. Right. And so, that adds up very fast in D&D. Right. I agree.
0: In addition, it also lets you add those 1d4s to your um, saving throws. Yeah. But not only does it affect one person, it can affect up to three different people.
1: That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And can clear a clear cast it on himself? Uh,
2: yes, it says creatures. Okay. Which actually may not be a bad idea have to concentrate to maintain it.
1: Right. One of my favorites for a cleric is guidance. Um, hey, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's not only you. It's not unique to clerics. Other um, other classes can use it as well. And essentially, what it is, if one of your party members goes to make a skill check to perform a certain action, you can cast guidance, which is a cantrip that gives them an extra one d four to add onto their d twenty roll.
2: So it's kind of like a dumbed down version of Bless, basically. Kind of, except. except well, I mean, yeah, because it is a 1d4, just like Blesses. Will. But it's not. Bless is only to
1: attacks and saves. Right. Whereas Guidance is to skill checks. Yeah. So it that's kind true. of fills in that's where. Yeah, yeah, it kind of fills in where Bless doesn't. Uh, if you're more into the roleplay side, Thaumaturgy is a useful one.
0: Yes. Uh, I cannot stress enough how fantastic yeah. Thaumaturgy is.
1: Personally, I'm a. Like, my favorite spell in the entire game is Prestidigitation, <laughs> yeah. and Thaumaturgy serves some of the same purposes as right. Prestidigitation. It's just sensory effects. Yeah. Some of the examples are glow.
0: yeah. Some of the examples are you can make your uh, you can make your eyes glow, um, you can cause, instantaneously cause an unlocked door or window to just fly open or slam shut. You can you can almost scare the crap out of people saying oh right. this place is haunted woo and bluff your right. way through it. You can cause flames to flicker bright and dim. Uh your vo- your voice can boom up to 3 times as loud as normal for 1 minute. You create instantaneous sounds that originate from a point of your choice within range such as rumble of thunder, cry of a raven or ominous whispers. And you can alter the appearance of your eyes for 1 minute. So Collectively, all these different things can be used in a multitude of role-playing scenarios to give you some sort of advantage, whether it's a bluff check or a um, intimidation. I mean, if you're talking to a guy and all of a sudden your voice goes three times louder and your eyes begin to glow bright red, yeah, I mean that can be intimidating as shit. One of
1: my favorite examples of it is I was playing in a game and we were trying to kind of infiltrate this castle at night. And one of the nobles had, in, in our campaign, one of the nobles had recently died. And we were kind of investigating what had happened. Mm-hmm. And some of the guards that we, one of the suspects and a couple guards were sitting in a room together at night. And so one of our characters, we kind of, one of our other players had a disguise kit. So we kind of made his face white, kind of sunk in his eyes. And he burst in, blew the door open, and then we made his voice really loud and so he's yell like acting like he's a ghost, essentially. Right, right. And scared the piss out of the guys that were in that room, and it helped us, you know, interrogate. So they
0: do roll a one on their wisdom save. No, that made him piss their pants. Oh, get it? <laughs> I was Ba-da-dod. like, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Like, um, that, so that's a, a very that's a,
0: a so that's a really great example of And If you're looking for utility, that is just that is and it's a cantrip, so you can just keep on using it and. Yeah. You can actually cast the spell multiple times. You can have it up to three times, which is a phenomenal... so essentially
1: you can blow a door open, make your voice utter, and make flames shoot up all at the same time, which is kind of... Intimidating. Yeah, you know. So there's a
0: multitude of uses for that. And the kind of the last one that I wanted to touch on um, is the Bestow Curse. Opposing to Bless, instead of buffing your allies, you can actually weaken the enemy. The still Curse allows the the spellcaster to choose one of four different debuffs. The first one being, choose one ability score. While cursed, the target has disadvantage on the ability checks and saving throws made against that. So if you've got a high magic group, if you target like dexterity, that can really affect their ability to save against those spells. While your spell directly isn't very damaging, if you can just get one extra uh, attack spell from a a wizard or a sorcerer... Um, or even your next spell, that really can make a difference. You know, it takes... it's a, it, The biggest problem is it's a touch a, touch action, which I have a bit of a problem with, but I think that's still an, an acceptable flaw, I guess. But it lasts up to one minute. The next one is, while cursed, the target has disadvantage on attack rolls against you. That's pretty... That's pretty a big deal if you're trying to tank them. Right.
1: Um, which, oftentimes, the cleric is, because, because you're wearing heavy you're armor. armor. Yeah. <laughs>
0: or while cursed the target must make a wisdom saving throw at the start of each of its turns if it fails it wastes its action for the turn doing nothing now you're talking about locking down an enemy don't worry about it it's fine it's not the end of the world (laughs) i'm just trying to be quiet (laughs) yeah um you're locking down and removing its ability to attack you're shutting it down not just to
1: attack to do anything essentially yeah that's
0: huge or you can go the traditional route if you just want extra damage, and while the target is cursed, your attacks and spells deal an extra one d8 damage on the target. Though honestly, if you wanted just the extra damage boost, it would be better just to go with the bless right. and give yourself an increased chance to hit it with a weapon.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it, it's it's very situational, depending on what your group looks like. You know, if for example, if, if you if you cast bestow curse and you know you use the loss of action. Um. Let's say he's currently, like, on fire or immolated by mm-hmm. one of your other party members. And then he... So he has to use an action to put himself out. But then he loses his action. Well, now right. he's on fire for an extra turn. So <laughs> yeah. not only does he have to make a successful check to put himself out... Or no, you don't have to make a check for that, do you?
0: To put yourself out, you have to use mm-hmm. your action. Uh, but you do It have to depends make a on check. the spell, I think.
1: Yeah, okay, so yeah. You I have would have assume
0: to... they have to take an action to but, put But, I mean, you don't have to out. make a check. No, I, usually yeah. I don't think there's, like, a check or yeah. a saving. But... So
1: not only is he already losing his attack to... Inst- put himself out and stop taking damage well if he loses now he has to make a check to even be able to do that right
0: so it's it's quite powerful and as far as utility goes I really think it's fantastic
2: yeah um, and
0: I know everyone's got their own feelings
2: on that is there yeah. anything you wanted to add Ian actually yeah I mean we just mentioned like a like a bestow curtius now and we uh, earlier mentioned bless so I kind of feel like I have to mention the uh, spell bane which is a like bless an 8 level 1 spell but instead of giving up to three allies a 1d4, you give three enemies, three, up to three enemies also a 1d4, but you subtract from their, their attack rolls or their saving throws.
0: Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely pretty cool. Um, it's just kind
1: of the reverse of Bless. Of Bless,
0: yeah. Right. That is pretty cool. I don't think I've personally ever used it, because in, in most cases I don't feel like enemies last long enough. <laughs> right. But I definitely can see the merits of that, too.
2: Especially if you go up against a boss monster, right? right. Yeah,
0: and the, and stuff like this is really go- good if you're not heal intensive, because you're basically trying to avoid damage as get, opposed the, to recover yeah, from.
2: Reduce it. their
1: DADR as much as mm. you can,
0: which is a very effective way to play. All right. All right. So we want to thank uh, Angry, Angry Cannibal. Cannibal for his question. I hope that we answered your question, and if we didn't, well, you can send us an email bitching about it. <laughs> All right. So moving on to our main topic feats and other customization options
1: so yeah feats really help define your who your character is and what your character excels at base essentially what a feat is is usually
0: some sort of special training that they've undergone yeah, that's really complex
1: exactly and mechanically you replace some any time you level up and receive an ability score increase you can choose to forego that ability score increase and instead take a feat to improve your character in a different way.
2: Or you can just start as a human variant. Yes, say... if, if
0: your DM allows it. Some DMs don't allow that because they do consider that overpowered. Um, but
2: I never dig saying how much other bonuses other races get.
0: but... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Other races do get all these different bonuses. Um,
1: well, but... and you, what I think your like, DMs who think it's too overpowered aren't taking into account is the fact that. You know, every other race gets a level one ability score increase. Mm-hmm. If you take that as a human, you don't get that. Unless, of course, you take one of the feats that do give you a stat boost.
0: Well, the human variant still gives you t- uh, gives you uh, two plus ones.
1: Right, but if you take the feat instead, you don't get those, is what no. I'm saying. No, That's no. That's what I'm, I'm saying. saying. You're, no. you're
0: wrong. No. <laughs> oh, no. You get, by default, a human gets a plus one to every stat. If you take the human variant, you get two individual plus one stats. Plus, you actually get an additional bonus of a proficiency of your choice.
3: Oh,
1: I've been building humans around this entire time.
2: I guess so. Are you sure? Clearly. Yes. I am 100% sure. I built enough humans to know how it works. <laughs>
0: well, this, and plus, I had to, to uh, explain it to somebody once.
2: Of a pizza thing. alphabetical for the most part. Mm.
0: It is not alphabetical. That is a horseshit baloney. Right here. Human variant. This, it, blue it, score so increase. Plus one oh, to each. I thought you increased one by two. No, nope. nope. that's what everyone else does. So here it says, if your campaign uses the original feat rules from Chapter Five, your Dungeon Master might allow these variant rules, all of which replace the human's ability sc- uh, score increase trait. Ability score increase: two different ability scores um. of your choice increased by one. Skills: you gain a proficiency in one skill of your choice. Feet: you gain a feat of so your you choice. You get all of that.
1: Yes. yes. Oh. Yeah, that is strong. Never mind.
0: Yes, it's
1: cut all of what I said out.
0: <laughs> no, and that's what makes it really powerful. Right, okay. And there are some uh, home rule variants that just say you can have a feat. Okay. But you can't have any of this other stuff. Right. And that brings it down again, but once again, it really depends on which feet they take. Right. Because just like people, not all feats are created equal.
2: Yeah, I mean compare like a halfling foot to a human foot.
0: Oh, okay. Either way, I'll attach to my side like a luggy rabbit foot. <laughs> that was the sound of him palming for all of you that can't see him. Um, that's not true. I believe all people are created equal. I do
1: believe they do not stay that way. <laughs> all right, so moving on. The Player Handbook really tells you everything you know, need to know about feats, and it contains 42 different feats. Ranging from the Linguist feat, which allows your character to learn several new languages, to the Martial Adept feat, which increases your character's combat efficiency.
0: You can find more feats on page 165 in the uh, Player's Handbook. We're going to go through and kind of read off a few that we are some of our fa- favorites. Now, like you mentioned, there's 42 of these feats. Um, there's a lot, so we encourage you to read through each and every single one. Okay. And figure out which one fits your play style if you're going to need it. I do want to make one thing clear that the game is designed so that you do not need to use feeds. So don't feel that you have to pick one just because it's an option. Right. Use it to make your character your own. Right. Um, but do realize that the penalty of such is losing a modifier. Right. Which is a huge,
1: right.
0: huge disadvantage. And right.
1: some feats do make up for that loss modifier. Right. Either in the mechanic of the feat itself, it creates something that, for example, the Great Weapon Master, you can still gain extra damage on your attacks, or 13 of the feats, of the
2: 42 feats, do give you a plus one stat. List. Right. So you don't get the two, but you do get plus one. But plus one, usually those in any specific uh, stat. <laughs> right.
0: Yes. Which usually, I would hope that if you're taking the feat for a reason, it somehow fits with your character. You realm, would hope right? so. Exactly. Um, I couldn't imagine, you know, a... Uh, a wizard taking the charger feet, you know. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> charge in and da- dash in and whack somebody with its stick. But um
2: Oh, oh yeah the the charger feet. I'm very sore about that one.
0: Right now the charger feet is not all that. It's cracked up to be. Um it's probably one of the most underwhelming feats in my opinion. I
2: mean, I can see it being useful at lower levels, but once you right. hit get multi attack, not so much. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I can
1: see it being useful for like the rogue mm-hmm. because you can Oh, we have to use your action to dash, don't you? Yes. So you couldn't use the cunning so, action. So
0: the, the, the actual advantage to it is if I'm a big stompy barbarian and I actually can't close the 55-foot gap, right. I can then charge and then still hit him. Right. Yeah. Which you can't do without the charger. Yeah,
1: it's more useful at the beginning of... A combat. And yeah. That's about it.
0: Yeah. Now, if you're in a very big space in, in co- combat,
1: then against something that's considerably faster than yes. you and is continuing to run away, it could be useful. So even creatures like the charger that we're kind of crapping on right now and saying isn't good has its uses <laughs> and has the has its Squatty own situations. All over that thing. Yeah, it has situations that it is useful in.
0: Right, but you're once again you have to decide uh, which to forego stats for those things. So you really want to make sure. But they all have got their uses. So. Uh, we're going to touch on a few of our favorites, why they're our favorites. We're going to do two categories. We're going to do our favorite one as far as combat goes, and our favorite one that we use for non-combat.
2: But all my favorite ones are combat.
0: <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of good ones, so when it comes down to it, it is hard to pick just one. But yeah. We, yeah. For example,
1: I have two non-combat ones that kind of were tied. Yes. I give you a
0: simple job to do.
1: And I don't like the way you wanted me to do it. So oh, fair enough. <laughs> so you improve the system yourself, whatever you Um. to do. All right. Um,
0: personally, my favorite non-combat one is the actor. I feel like, and, and we'll actually start by reading what the feat does. Huh? Uh, skilled at mimicry and, dra- and dramatics, you gain the following benefits. Increase your charisma score by one to a maximum of 20. You have advantage on charisma deception and charisma performance checks when trying to pass yourself off as a different person. You can mimic the speech of another person or the sounds made by another creature. You must have heard the person speaking or heard the creature making the sound for at least one minute. A successful wisdom insight check contested by your charisma deception check allows a listener to determine if the effect is fake. I will tell you why I love this so much. So. As a rogue, specifically, I've used it. um, Where you're trying to get into a heavily fortified area and there's a couple guards kind of blocking your way. Nothing is more intimidating than making the call of a giant raging beast where they are forced to go and investigate it. Maybe leave their post to do so. Or send a small platoon, um, allowing your team to ambush them. Or, let's say you're trying to get into a little bit more political intrigue. You're trying to get into this mansion where. You have to assassinate this person. Well, maybe you're not on the guest list, but you walk up to the guard and you say, "You pull that traditional. Don't you know who I am? I am the second, third cousin of Baron von Volk." They may not know who that is, but if you can pass it off as you're that person, right. I mean, they will. Here you go, sir. I'm sorry, I did not mean to to to, to stop you from getting in. You know. Right. Yep,
2: yeah, make him go. Oh, you have noble for that, be that big of a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um you know and this feat really increases your success rate significantly when trying to be somebody else that really is great for intel gathering or eavesdropping or any other type of uh, espionage you can imagine and
2: yeah. well well my favorite te- technically non-combat feats the magic initiate. Yes, that's a really nice one. Yeah. All right. And just to read it word for word, choose a class: bard, cleric, druid. You're essentially a spellcaster, basically. You learn two of their cantrips, and you may choose one level one spell from their list. Now, the overall catch though is any spell or cantrip you choose from that class, you have to use your main stat, like um, whether you're good in it or not. Huh? Right. But but that said though, not all all spells or cantrips necessarily need a role per se. Right. And sometimes what you add to your... from another class might fill in the gaps you want to fill in your mm-hmm. current one. Like, for example, in that cleric I mentioned earlier, the idea I had behind that character was, you know how, like, your stereotypical cleric is, yes, I cast divine spells, but I hit you with my mace. I didn't want to do that. I want a cleric that was pure spellcaster. Okay. But the problem with that, though, was... Declares only have one damaging cantrip, Sacred Flame, Sacred Flame. which is not bad cantrip. But the problem with Sacred Flame, though, is is a deck save, and and that is their only damage spell. I want other options. Right. So I basically picked Druid and then I grabbed Produce Flame, which I like. This could rule for myself and mm-hmm. Shillelagh. Oh, Shillelagh! Nice touch. Shillelagh is a fun spell. That's a very Can, fun cantrip up to level five at least. Yeah. Well, I mean. it's still fun. It, oh yeah. It kind of loses
1: effectiveness, but it's it's still a fun spell to right. use. But at low
2: levels, so I'm yeah. glad to have it. Right.
0: <laughs> I used to uh, have a character who did the had the had the magic initiate and took the shillelagh spell, and I would describe my wizard as he casts his staff. He runs his hands in it, and his staff turns into a blazing sword. And it wasn't really; it was just a magical shillelagh, but I re, re- <laughs> I re-flavored it to right. me to give like a, a visual cue per the DM. It was like you know, okay, and it was just fun when I did the traditional. Uh, you ever seen? I don't know if y'all seen Bleach, but. Um, they got, Yamamoto's got, the, it's Yamamoto, has got this big staff, I, God, somebody's gonna kill me if I got his name wrong, <laughs> but the, the really old guy in, in the Soul Society has this big giant staff,
2: Yamamoto, and right.
0: it, it is Yamamoto, and it turns, and it just turns into a blazing sword with, and it's and awesome, so I took that as kind of my, my go-to, and that shillelagh spell allowed me to do that, because it imposed magical, uh, uh, the magical weapon effect on my not-so-magical staff, You're which right. turned out just to be a stick from a tree at home.
3: You're right. <laughs> get for Yeah,
0: so Magic Initiate is a really, really good uh, good one, but I still would argue that that's more of a combat one.
2: No, I get that, but see, I think that on It which has can... its
1: non-combat uses as yes.
2: well. I mean, it does depend on which uh, cantrip and spells you Doesn't can. Doesn't that give you a resistance of sorts? No. Oh, is that which one is that one? You're... Magic Adept? You're thinking the ele- Elemental edit. Ah, that's the one. Gotcha. Alright, okay.
0: right, so that's a really good one. What so, are you, Ryan?
2: As far as non-combat
1: feats go, I kind of have two that I, I really like. The first one is Lucky,
3: Damn.
1: which can also be a combat feat. Um, I love Lucky. Yeah, so Lucky, you have, the inexplic- you have inexplicable luck that seems to kick in at just the right moment. You have three luck points. Whenever you make an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw... You can spend one luck point to roll an additional d20. You can choose to spend one of your luck points after you roll the die, but before the outcome is determined. Which essentially means after you roll it, but before the DM tells you if it worked or not. Right. You choose which of the d20s is used for the attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. You can also spend one luck point when an attack roll is made against you. Roll a d20 and then choose whether the attack uses the attacker's roll or yours. For more than one creature spends a luck point to influence the outcome of a roll. The points cancel each other out. No additional dice are rolled. You regain your expended luck points when you finish a long rest. So, personally, I don't use... When I take luck, I don't tend to use it for attack rolls because I can always just attack again. Some ability checks, you only get one chance. And oh, so yeah. that's why I keep luck around. You know, if I go to try to pick a lock and I roll a one, oh, I'm going to use luck and re-roll that. <laughs> or if I'm trying to lie my it, way out it, it of broke a... broke real... off inside and popped it free for you. <laughs> right. If I'm trying to lie myself out of a really dangerous situation, you don't want to roll a really bad, poor charisma or deception check, because that might end have in you dying. the actor
0: you can do that as many times as you want. Right. Because yeah. that
1: may end in you dying, if you do. So right. that's what I thought you that. And the other one I, I, I chose is Linguist, and what it says is, you have studied languages and codes, gaining the following benefits, increase your intelligence score by 1 up to 20, you learn three languages of your choice. And you can ably create written ciphers. Others can't decipher a code you create unless you teach them. They succeed on an intelligence check equal to your intelligence score or your proficiency, plus your proficiency bonus, sorry. Or they use magic to decipher it. Which, that and the three languages of your choice can be very useful depending on your DM. Some DMs, like me, like using language in the game. For example, if you're in a dwarven city, the signs are probably going to be in dwarven do you speak dwarven oh you don't well you don't know what the sign says <laughs> better find someone who, who does right right so if, if you have this feat or you just have the ability to learn to speak other languages I, uh, it can be really useful for role play purposes in your game
0: yeah and i'll actually give you a really good example um i was running a game and one of my players said i want to take the linguist feat but i only want to do it if i can if there's something special i can do and i said okay well what do you want to do with all the knowledge that I've gained from learning languages, would I be able to make my own? Where are you going with this? ASL, American Sign Language.
3: Hmm.
0: I want to make my own sign language, and I want to teach it to my party so that when we're having a conversation, we can make gestures, and while we're making gestures during this conversation with this NPC, we can be communicating together. Right. And so they came up with a very... Unique way to constantly be informed of what's going on, not only when they're in the same conversation, but if they're off in a distance. So if I say, I'm going to pull that NPC off and have a personal conversation, and I'm moving my arms and I'm gesturing as I'm talking, my entire party is... You could be completely uh, resigning yes. word for
1: word with this guy's telling and
0: you. And that was what they wanted to do because they didn't have a mage in the group. So they didn't have somebody who could read minds right. or use the send spell. So this was kind of their solution to that. And I was like, hell yes. Yeah. But I would only allow that because they
1: took the linguist's feet. Linguist fee.
0: Right. And it made sense So did the you ha- make
1: him sacrifice the three languages? No, I did not. Okay. Um, what I
0: did is we did... Instead uh, of being
1: able to write ciphers, he could just... He could just write, oh, uh, okay.
0: develop it. But there was a, a thing, um, kind of like what you do when you're crafting, where he was developing it on their adventure. It wasn't something he already knew. I say, okay, you can kind of do this and you can teach it where they're going to have to make intelligence checks to see if they can recall what you told them it meant. So basically, I made him do skill challenges to get better at it and help them get better at it. So as the longer he had it, the more proficient they became and the lower the DC became for them to interpret what he was saying. Um, And that's kind of how I balanced it out. But that was kind of just an extra thing that it made sense that he would be able to do. And he was willing to put all his downtime into it. And I thought that was a very great use of that. Now, that took a little bit more favor uh, request from the DM, but right. usually DM's willing to work with you if it's, if it's yeah. reasonable within... If it's gonna add somewhere. to your game. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it sure as hell made my job a whole hell of a lot easier, or a lot harder, so... Right. So, moving on uh, to combat feats. What is your favorite combat feat? Ian?
2: Oh, we have plenty of options. I, th- I think first and foremost, it depends on what I'm playing. Which is, I think is understandable.
0: Right, but what's your favorite feat? Regardless uh, of what you're currently playing or have played, what do you think is your favorite feat? Good, okay. And why?
2: If I had to pick a, if a combat feat, I would go with Alert. Ah, oh, as a DM, Alert's I hate that one. spell. Or that feat. That sucks. Okay. And Alert basically gives you a plus life two initiative, and you can't be surprised when you're conscious. Yes. Can't be ambushed and other creatures don't get advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being hidden from me. Bullshit. <laughs> that,
0: I, that is the bane of my existence as a DM, because I love surprise. I love ambushing the players. Can't do that when somebody's got the alert feed. Ask Anthony. He always takes the alert <laughs> really? feed. Yes. I think he does it because he knows it pisses me off. Yeah, you're right. So that's really uh,
1: a really good one.
2: Especially if you're like a rogue assassin. Yeah. Because you actually get bonuses for attacking before your enemies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, for the reasons you just mentioned, I mean, it makes... Surprise rounds can be so terrible for you. Oh, yeah. If you're just immune to them, then it's amazing. And especially if you're a character like... I actually really like taking alert on a... I know I always talk about rogues. But I like taking alert on a rogue because a big part of the rogue is... like to do it from behind. ...attacking before them. If you attack before your enemy, you Mm -hmm. do more damage. With the plus five to your initiative...
2: That induce. makes that a
1: lot more feasible.
2: Yes. Uh, at the very least, it's a 25% in- increase of being your opponent's. No right. What you right. roll. And on top of that,
1: you probably have a plus four, or plus five initiative already. So you're getting like a plus nine. You know, you can be rolling a.
2: Thirty twenty nine initiative, depending on how well you yeah. roll. And going with rogues again, especially to, to the assassin archetype, you get bonuses for attacking you before an enemy. Yeah, it. so yeah, like that's you, what I'm you auto crit. Repeat, yeah. thanks. That's a, the assassinate feature, right? Yeah, for the
0: archetype. Yeah. If
1: it, mm, if they haven't attacked it, you don't crit. You get your sneak attack damage. I think it is because the crit they have to be surprised.
0: I'm pretty sure. It's I don't game. know. I don't play rogues, so that's up to you. I played a rogue
2: once or twice. Same here. But, but when I did, I really liked it. Right. Rogue, yeah, Rogue's my favorite class. I'm pretty sure it's if you act before they do. No, you have you have advantage. You have
1: advantage on the attack. That's what it is. I just read it. It's right there. You give, you give yeah, advantage. yeah, I'm reading it too. The crit is only it's if they're he surprised. He trusts, but he's verifying.
2: Actually, I think we're both right, because you have advantage on attack rolls against any creature that's not active this turn, and in addition, any hit you score against a creature that's surprised is a critical hit.
1: Okay, but going before them isn't a surprise. Fair. That was that was, that was was a distinction I made. They have to be surprised for the crit. You just get... Fair. Which
0: also works against you if you can be surprised, which douches like Anthony who take alert can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My, my, my assassins don't get their bonuses. Right. It makes me sad. Um, that's okay, they poison their blades and shit, so it's all good. <laughs> Alright, uh, what about you, Ryan? Uh, my favorite combat... We're very well prepared here. Yeah, at the, my yeah, favorite the combat studios. feat is
1: Martial Adept. Uh, you have Martial training that allows you to perform special combat maneuvers. You gain the following benefits. You learn two maneuvers of your choice from any... among those available to the Battlemaster archetype in the Fighter class. If a maneuver you use requires your target to make a saving throw to resist the maneuver's effects... The saving throw DC equals 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength or dexterity modifier, your choice. Or, if you already have superiority dice, meaning you're a battlemaster fighter, you gain one more. Otherwise, you have one superiority die, which is a d6. This die is used to fuel your maneuvers. A superiority die is expended when you use it. You regain your expended superiority dice when you finish a short
2: or long rest. Yeah, you know, sign up though. A Balmester's uh, superior diet is a D8 by default. Right. right. So, it's lower in the... Right, it is the lower, but, yeah, but... But then say if you have a Hesper, you get one more, right? So. Right. Yeah, I
0: like that, because it's an, it's one of the the archetypes of the fighter. Right. And that really creates a unique special mechanic that you can do that you couldn't otherwise do.
1: Yeah, well, because <clears> the fighters <throat> have 16 of these maneuvers, and some of them are really useful, like the oh, trip. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. Or rally. You can heal someone. Um, one of my favorites is Parry. When another creature damages you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction and expend one superiority die to reduce the damage by the number you roll on your superiority die plus your dexterity modifier. So you have a chance to reduce the damage to zero. Especially at low levels. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that can be really useful if you're... Again, I always love talking about rogues. I like taking on rogues because I mainly only play rogues. Like, rogues and barbarians like the only two classes I ever play. <laughs> um, true. Yeah. And you can... Because you're constantly up in your enemy's face, but you're not very tanky. You don't have a lot of health, and you don't have a very high armor class. You're not hard to hit, so unless you're uh,
0: being attacked by spells,
1: yes, true. But evasion is bullshit. <laughs> so when you get hit, but you still have evasion, you don't get to like level four or five. Like I ran a level
0: thirteen campaign the other like a couple weeks ago. Goddamn rogue can't hit him with anything. I couldn't hit him with anything because his deck
1: his, his deck score is so high. He only has you know if he only got a roll of fourteen to Pass or succeed. he was rolling, he
0: was passing on like fives and sixes. Right,
1: exactly, and it then was rough. Yeah, and you hit that, and you take zero damage from a successful save. And even if you fail, still only take half out. damage. Yeah, it was a bitch.
0: Yeah, um, but anyways, back to uh, martial adept. Yeah, um, I think the the trip one is a really good one if you were to pick it up as a rogue, because if you don't know, when an enemy is prone, all melee attacks have advantage. That's and they can't take
1: op attacks against you if you try to run away. Yes, yes. If you trip them and run away...
0: No, that's a very good yeah. strategy. But So it works in your favor as a damage buff, plus it buffs your allies that are in melee as well.
1: Repose is another good one, you know. Counter attack. Ten- yeah, essentially. If you know they're kind of close to death, they they try to hit you, you hit them back, you might kill them. Right. And yeah.
0: that also becomes a deterrent for them to attack you too, because right. unless the the DM is counting that, oh, you can only do that one time, then... But the enemies aren't going to know that. You know? Right. If the first guy, big and stompy, stomp walks up to you and is trying to flex his muscle and attacks you, and you counter and kill him, how's the other NPCs going right. to react to that? Like, holy shit, you know?
1: Yeah, don't go near
0: that guy. Right. So my personal favorite combat-related one is the Sentinel. You have mastered techniques to take advantage of every drop in enemy's guard, gaining the following benefits. When you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, the creature's speed becomes 0 for the rest of the turn. Creatures within melee range provoke opportunity attacks from you even if they take the disengage action before leaving your reach. When a creature within your melee reach of you makes an attack roll against a target other than you and that target doesn't have this feat, you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon attack against the attacking creature. Now, this was changed in the errata, and I was super stoked about it because if you were using a reach weapon, it didn't apply. Because right. it actually says five feet in the original, and they removed that um, because it was disadvantaged to fighters with reach abilities. But I really like this. I like to tank, and this really allows me to do that. If somebody is running through my area and trying to chase after a healer, and I can use this feet to take an op attack and hit him and stop him right where he's at stops him from getting to where he was going right. whether he attacks me or not
2: and yeah that feat is excellent for everything you just said and especially you combine it with the feat Pole arm master Oh, it's even
0: indestructible combination right? right because now when they're moving into your reach pull yeah. arm master says when somebody enters your reach you can attack them right if you attack them and hit them and their movement becomes zero guess what they don't do Move. get into your reach <laughs> or they don't get in you don't get into their reach because right. they, they got a 5 st- foot yeah, reach yeah you can
1: hit them but they can't hit you right. kind of like Michael uh, Jordan and Muggsy Bogues you don't get that reference yes anymore. I do you do? I do I watch Space Jam you know who Muggsy Bogues yeah, is? yeah one of the smallest yeah, basketball five foot players three. ever yeah. one of the best point guards of all time yeah so you didn't know I knew that I'm so happy I'm so proud of you yeah you should be I watched Space Jam <laughs> <laughs> oh I forgot Muggsy Bogues was in that
0: <laughs> yeah well, the, the little red guy took his powers yeah. <laughs> but, talent But that's one of my favorite because that basically gives any melee person that wants it the ability to really crowd control the enemies. Now, if you combine that with a bigger creature, let's say a druid, for instance, Mm -hmm. who shapeshifts into a bear, they get two Mm -hmm. attacks, right? Right. So they get two opportunities to stop you in your tracks. And if you attack, if you're so big, if you're next to, you could be next to a lot of your allies at once. So if anybody gets attacked, from one of those enemies in your range, you can swipe at them. Right. That's phenomenal it, yeah. because you're so big, it makes it a lot easier. So that's pr- one of my personal favorite feats. There are, or like what I say, 40, there's 42 different feats to choose from. Read them. Figure out what it is you think your character wants to do and find a way to, mix, uh, to get it. Mixing and matching these different feats really allows you to customize your character in a way that differentiate them from even the same fighter right next to you. Right. I would like to do some honorable mentions. I think Warcaster is probably the best feat in the game. Yeah, for Sharpshooter as well. Sharpshooter too, but Warcaster specifically because it gives uh, casters, it allows them really to be effective melee Yeah. Uh, and also effectively hold concentration. So.
1: Observant is another really good one as yes. well.
0: Yes, I was trying to think of another yeah, one.
1: Yeah, it uh, essentially... And again, observant and linguist, I like both for the same reason. Observant allows you to read another character's lips. Mm-hmm. So kind of what you were talking about with the sign language thing, this kind of plays it plays into the same thing where you can just read someone's lips. You know, If you can't hear the conversation but you can see it, well, then you can still understand what they're saying. And,
0: and players can get pretty fancy with that. I had one right. guy with the observant got one of the spyglass scopes off of the
1: item list and can watch people and can from, watch people from a distance yeah, yeah. And you know, in, in addition to that it increases your wisdom by 1 and it increases your passive perception by 5
0: yeah can which is huge. never stumbles into
1: a trap which is huge because you know if you're trap. if you already have a high wisdom your passive perception is probably going to be 13 14 maybe 15 if you have a plus 5 do it yeah you're not getting caught yeah. you're not never. getting caught
0: yeah and that really has been a problem for me too All Right. Well, and no talk about annoying
2: well, my honorable mention. I almost said great weapon master, but then I get reminded of mobile.
0: <laughs> I like mobile.
2: Yep. And mobile. I mean, you get t- ten more feet to your movement, and that adds up pretty quick, especially if you're a barbarian or a monk.
0: Right. Well, I think that's even not even the big or thing. Or it. Get, the,
2: the, 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 yeah. big,
0: the big thing is though is that you can move away from combat without taking op attacks. Right.
2: Only that's if That's first.
1: <laughs> you can run in, hit, and leave. For example, if you're in the if you're already there at the start of the round. Oh, moving away. And you want to move away and attack someone else, you can't. You'd have to attack. Well, I guess if you, you, have, can, two you attacks, have two attacks. You have you attack yeah. them and move in somebody else. Yeah. In fact,
0: actually, that's something that I often did with my my monk, where I would run in, punch one guy, move over, and then uh, Fluria blows the next guy. Yeah. And then run away from him. And, in fact, I pissed off uh, Paul quite a bit when we were doing... Uh, the Curse of Strad campaign and the rooms are so tiny, I'd run in, blah, 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 run in and then run right back out and nothing could ever hit me. And he was giving me a hard time the whole time. were you there for that? I think so. He gave me a hard time about it. He's like, you just keep running away like a coward. I was like, no, that's your strategic retreat and then, so I would run back in, punch I like advancing
1: in. in another direction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd run in, I'd punch a bunch of things, and I'd run right back out. And that's basically the whole way I played the character. Right. I think his name was Daffy, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Daffy because I didn't have a name for him, and you were making fun of me because I kept missing with all my, my staff attacks. And, like, you remind me of Daffy Duck, and you showed me that cutscene, so.
2: From the Robin Hood. From the Robin
0: Yeah, from yeah. the Robin Hood. So I ended up taking Daffy through there, but he was beating the shit out of stuff and, and destroying it. So... When it comes to feats, use them. Obviously, losing your stat bonus is a huge flaw. Right. Because if you can't hit your target, it doesn't matter how powerful you are. So don't focus entirely on taking feats. probably one, maybe two throughout your adventuring career. Well, and it
1: also depends on if you're playing in a a game where maybe you rolled your abilities. If you got lucky and rolled high on your primary abilities, like if you're playing a, a fighter and you rolled high on Strength and Constitution now you have a lot of wiggle room to use feats. Oh, for sure, definitely. Yeah. Especially if you're, if you're taking ones that increase your strength and your constitution. Right. But, uh, that's
0: not really an option for my group because I make them use the standard arrays, but boo. You know,
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I get that because I've put some games where I really crap. See,
1: those but are my I think favorite those made characters more, those to Those make more interesting characters. Those are my favorite. Like, For example, like my favorite character I've ever played, I think, was when we were at the store and I played the Barbarian. That was just dumb as hell. <laughs> and we, we were in a, we were in the inn and he said, well, I'll give you all, all three rooms for two silver a night. And I was like, oh, I, I pulled the innkeeper aside I, I pulled him to the other side and I go, how about all the, in all the rooms for three silver a night? You're <laughs> <And laughs> really proud like, of that moment. And he was like, okay, fine. And I went back and he was like, guys, you're going to be so proud of me. I haggled. And, and the whole role, the whole point was when I rolled that guy's, uh, Stats, his intelligence was like 4 or 5. He was really, really stupid. And you play off that, and you put your group in really awkward situations sometimes, and it's fun. I'd like to point out, I think
0: Adventure League requires you to use the standard array.
1: Oh, I broke the rules then. Yeah, that's okay. But
0: <laughs> if any of you are listening to this and feel like you've heard this before, you did because he's told the story Have twice I? at least. Okay, we I edited it out, right out once, but looks like you're editing it out again. <laughs> it's
1: a good story. It's yeah. my favorite story.
2: Actually, I think my favorite dumb barbarian story was like somebody who really get two or a three for barbarian's intelligence. So... Hey, hey, grapefruit. <laughs> you mean fruit bat?
0: Whatever fruit bat grapefruit whatever. Yeah. Same person.
2: Yeah. But but anyway, this other he is so dumb. He only knew one fra- phrase. And the phrase had to be, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, said barbarian for a weapon, wield a boulder.
0: <laughs> it's go time, people. All then, right, happy so,
2: birthday! <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so moving on, um, feats are very powerful, use them. Um, moving on to multiclassing. Who wants to tell us, what is multiclassing?
2: Multiclassing is essentially when you take levels in multiple classes.
0: Thanks for clearing that up.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's in the net. What else do you want me right. to say? So
1: essentially, if you're a fighter and you hit level six, why would you multi-class? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, if you're a fighter, you're playing a fighter and you hit level six, you really have, well, you have more. You have a lot of options, but one of your options, one of your options, is to just take the sixth level fighter stats that you get. You get your fighter hit die for level six. You get your fighter hit points for level six. You get whatever the fighter ability is for level six. Another option you have is to multiclass. And instead of taking the fighter stats for level six, you can take the level one stats for any of the other classes in the game. So if you're a level, if you're you know, you can become a level five fighter and a level one druid, or you can become a level five fighter and a level one sorcerer.
0: Now there are prerequisites for that.
1: Yeah. 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 So on page 163
0: of the customization options, there is a small uh, table and there are certain requirements there's certain certain stat requirements to multi-class right why would you want a multi-class it
1: gives your character more um what's the word i want versatility thank you you're welcome it gives your it adds a lot of versatility to your character it allows you know it allows the barbarian to go into a rage and then shape-shift into a bear it allows. Ooh. I wonder where I got that idea. Can't know. imagine. You know, it allows the ranger who is already really good at stealth and good at tracking to now become a rogue and also have the sneak attack damage.
0: Or it allows that ranger who sucks with his bow to pick up a polearm and be efficient.
2: <laughs> yeah, and
1: use the jump spell. <laughs> Dragoon, anybody?
2: <laughs> or you can could, you could be a paladin, take a dip in warlock, and just burn the warlock spells to use as the smites.
3: Yeah,
0: so multi-classing definitely has its merits. Learning, taking a fighter and dipping into, you know, um, wizard uh, right. to get arcane, or get the what is it, arcane domain um, specifically, depending if you're trying to go for a certain build, um, or taking barbarian and going druid. Um, there's lot. There's certain features that you can acquire as long as you attain the appropriate level in that class. right? And when you start to combine different features, you can get interesting build combinations, right. making your character significantly
1: more unique. Personally, as a DM, and Justin, I believe you hold this belief as well, if one of my players wants to multi-class, I make them come up with a story reason, a reason in their character's story as to why they now have these abilities. Oh yeah,
0: you're in the middle of the woods and you kill an extra kobold and poof you're level four and you want to become a rogue? Nope.
1: Right, you, you <laughs> either you know you find someone that teaches you these, or you know perhaps take example. You know you take a druid level. Perhaps you know while you were growing up, you were you were trained in those arts, but you've been hiding them and you haven't been showing them to your party. Even if you just work something into your backstory, like one of the easiest mm-hmm. ones to work into your backstory is sorcerer. Oh, the abilities it's in my bloodline. Yeah, it's in my blood, and the abilities just came out. Mm-hmm. You know
0: that was that would probably be the only one that I would really allow on the the pop fly if right. they decided to. No,
2: I can think. Of- think if you're like a barbarian you just had to, to dip in the fire a little bit i could definitely buy that one too
1: yeah uh, okay. even though because barbarians are more you know they just kind of were grew up in the wild and they're just kind of crazy and swing axes where fighters are very very Soldiers. trained yeah they're very formally trained and they're experts at the different weapons that they
2: use Although sometimes you just chalk it up as combat experience too.
1: Or and that that's very that's a very simple thing is you know you find someone that trains you, so whether you go to the major city and you pay someone to, you know, train you in tracking, right, or something like that. And
0: and, and the other thing that I've done is I had two characters that were grouped together. One was a fighter. One was a rogue. One he decided he wanted to multi-class a level or two into rogue, I think for the sneak attack and for the uh, uh, what is the one that converts a bonus action into like a dash or something? Cunning action. Cunning action. I think that's level two, right? You get that? Yeah, it's very early. Um, he multi-classed, so he could get that, but his leverage was, well, I've been training with uh, Jarek over here, and he's a rogue, and he's kind of been teaching me the ways. Right. So in that case, I just let him, him, yeah, I just kind of let him learn it uh, because he's been, he said, yeah, we've been training together, I've been teaching him this, blah, 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 and that was a good enough story, but it's important that um, for us, at least, to have a reason—you right. don't just, you're not just in the woods out. With, hey, oh, all of a sudden, I can cast fireball. Well, and know? if
1: that is the kind of mechan- the campaign we are running, which is very mechanic based and not very role play right. heavy, then by all means, you know, no our, we're wrong. Our way isn't the I right mean, way. Yes, it is. Your way's hey. not the right way. <laughs> yes,
3: it <is>. Perfect. <laughs> um, They're wrong. They're doing it wrong. So if that's the wrong. way you want to,
1: <laughs> wrong, wrong. wrong. <laughs> my impersonation. Wrong. <laughs>
0: Um, but, you know, multi-classing is a good way to create versatility, especially say you don't have a healer. If you right. need a healer, having somebody who does, who wants to play a, a, a fighter but doesn't want to be a healer might multi-class and declare right. to get a few spells so they don't die.
1: However, there are downsides. Yes. Especially if you're playing a one-shot campaign, then you're not really going to have it's not really going to have too big of a downside because, you, really, honestly, it's better because you can get all the abilities you want.
3: Right.
1: But if you are playing a long-term campaign, a campaign where you're going to hit level 20, you're not going to get that level 20 ability, which, in a lot of cases, are very strong. Well, not even a level
0: 20. An example, you know, hitting level 6. Yeah. Um, you're losing... You mentioned the, a fighter earlier, so we'll go off that, where you right. get the extra attack feature. Right. You're you not going to get, get that. Yeah. And that. And that's probably the biggest loss to it, aside from... Uh, the extra attack features and spells. spells. Right. When you, oh, you yeah. attain spells at certain levels, and there's you don't combine those, yeah. it's if your wizard hits level, you know... Yeah,
1: and you are now a level 5 fighter and a level 1 wizard. Yes. You're not a level 6 fighter and wizard. Right. You're a 5 and a level 1. So, yeah, like you were saying, if you're a wizard that wants to take a, a fighter level, you don't get any more spell slots. Right. Which can suck. You know, that mm-hmm. can...
0: Now, the multiclassing does allow for a little bit of breathing room there. Um, there's actually a uh, a calculation on uh, page 164 that shows you how to multi-class with, multi, uh, with classes that do different spells. And there's a multi-class spell level list, which means you, lo- you learn them a lot slower. Right. But it allows you, it kind of balances them out. And there's a calculation here where it says spells known and prepared and how you determine what you know and what you can prepare based on the different... Um, stats. I'm not gonna read that because it's boring. And but, it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's boring. But the it should um, be
2: warlock though. But yeah.
0: Well, warlock will still be still has to abide by this rule because it's in it says you have to. But right the uh, warlock
2: sp- spells though fu- function mechanically speaking. Right, but
0: if I take a level in warlock and five levels in cleric, I still only have one level one spell slot that refreshes. It doesn't affect all of them. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right then. Then you're right, and I approve. Um, so multiclassing, but it, yeah, it has its pros and cons, but once again, it's another way to create versatility and variation in your character to make you different from the guy next to you. Right. Which also means you can customize it to something you love playing. Right. You know, you mentioned the Druid and the, the Barbarian earlier. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Barbarians, but I like the, the big Ragey Ragey thing, but I love Druids. So I was like, what if I turned into a big Ragey Ragey thing as a giant bear? And I was right. like, well, that's a good combination. So I got the effective rage ability with my shapeshifting, which really let me play my bear
1: big and dumb like I wanted to. Right. Well, and then even sometimes, one game we played instead of it being a rage, mechanically speaking, it was rage, but you know, for flavor purposes, you kind of changed it into you went like, into this like serene kind oh, of zen zen state, state yes. where I yeah. harness the powers of my ancestors.
0: Yeah, kind of like, a like
1: yeah, like the whole like you know comparing it to a real world thing kind of like the boxer uprising where they believed they were like immune to normal weapons mm-hmm. your guy just kind of was like nope i'm done let's do this
0: <laughs> and that was a good example uh and we'll probably have a uh an episode on reflavoring because yeah. that to me is one of the biggest advantages D has going for it uh reflavoring of everything spells weapons all of it um Anyway, so uh, the last thing we're going to talk about is archetypes. This is the core of the game. Uh, as you progress through your... I feel like we said that about a couple of things. Well, there's a lot of cores. <laughs> it is called a core rulebook, right? You're right. You're, right, uh, I'm you're not, right. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Core players you are You are not I'm wrong. Um, but uh, archetypes are pathways that each class can take as they progress in level down... Uh, as they increase in level. Right. Um, each class has at least two... Some classes Some more. Have. I think the cleric has like
1: eight. Yeah, the cleric... Most of them have two to four. The cleric has a lot. The wizard has a lot. The yeah. wizard does? Yeah. Do they? Yeah, oh, they they yeah. In the normal robot? Yeah. Really? Oh, I thought they only had like three or four in the normal. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way more. Let's take a look here. Never the wizard.
0: wizard. Arcane domain. Traditions. Oh,
1: because they have the schools. That's right. You have the school yeah. of
0: aberration, right? You have the school of conjuration, uh, divination, enchantment, evocation... Illusion, necromancy, transmutation, and that's it. it. Yeah, I forgot. There's about actually that. more than that if you include the other books. But yeah, you have like the Sword swordplay yeah. adventures. Anyway, so uh, archetypes. As you level up, you get to pick these archetypes, and they can, for all intents and purposes, totally change the specifics and play style of your character. We're going to use the yeah. fighter as uh, an, a good example because it takes three different, real yeah. different approaches. You have. The martial archetypes um, consist of the champion. This guy is all about... This is actually more closer to some of the traditional play styles. Yeah. um, Where you don't really get any special ability, but you've got passive powers. And the biggest one's called the improved crit, where your range isn't just crit at 20 now, it's crit at 19 19. or 20, which significantly increases your your crit rate.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but eventually it doesn't even become 18. It does,
0: at level 18, I think. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry, at 15, level 15. Okay, level 15. An 18. Yeah, you have 18. that means you have a 15% chance to crit. That's huge. Every time you roll that down. Now, Let's take it one step
0: forward. If you're dual wielding, how does that yeah, increase your odds?
1: You have a 15% chance to crit twice.
0: Yes. Um <laughs> that's why I usually if I go I usually go dual wield champion, which means my crits hit for less than a great sword. Right. But I feel like I hit more often cuz even when I get my extra attack, I still have one extra Swing because you know, when you get level six, was it you get the extra attack feature? Yeah. Um, you still get three attacks. Oh, five actually, huh? Oh, level five, five? Actually, yeah. okay. All right, so uh, the champion basically increases your crit range, which really means you're 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 potentially more deadly as far right. as consistent DPR, right? Damage per round for those of you that don't know what that means, and I really like that because I roll between nine. I roll 19s all the time, but never roll 20s, right. Um, it's uncanny
1: how often 18s and 19s come up, the 20s. The 20s,
0: yeah. Um, or Almost
2: a machio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or uh, the more complicated, and actually my my favorite build, is the Battlemaster. So much fun. Yeah, you get uh, superiority dice, and basically you use these do, uh, dice to use, do special maneuvers, and we talked about it earlier with, with the, the Martial adept. <laughs> yeah, this
1: is where that comes from. Um,
0: and so... You can surprisingly do these different things, whether it's a a precision attack or a parry or a repost, and you expend those dice, and they also add to the roll, which increases the effectiveness of it. Right,
1: yeah, and you have everything from just increasing the damage on your strike to counterattacking, as we mentioned before, or reducing damage coming into you. Rally allows you to heal a teammate. You right. know, there's so many, or not a, a team, a party member. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different things you can do with it, and it's it's so much fun because it's so customizable. Right.
0: Like, I, I actually ran a, a tank build where I did a sword and board, and I took the commander strike feat. Yeah. Which doesn't sound all that great till you realize I was I was giving opportunities for the rogue to attack right. again. The rogue can get a sneak attack off multiple times in a round.
2: Right. Commander strike maneuver. Yeah, in a round, yeah. Mm-hmm. You mean commander strike maneuver. Yeah, you said that's what feet. I said. You said oh, feet, I'm I sorry. You meant, yeah. I said feet. My bad. <laughs> I knew it. Um, yeah.
1: The
0: commander strike uh, maneuver allows you to give the attack to another person. Right. They can use their reaction to take an attack. And I got a one-handed sword, so for me to give instructions, say, "I'll distract them. You get in and stab them in the side," right. letting that sneak attack, that just significantly increased the right. effectiveness of our combat.
2: Right. Because that is something
1: that a lot of people don't realize, I think, is there's a difference between... I think we've talked about it. There's a difference between once per round and once per turn. Yes. A rogue can sneak attack once per turn. So they can do it on their turn, and they can do it on someone else's turn. Multiple people's turn. But right. you, only reaction, you only get one reaction, so... One reaction. And I don't think there's anything in the game that allows you to take more than one reaction, is there? No. I, not that I'm aware of, yeah. but I
0: don't know everything. If there were, then that would let you. Right. <laughs> um. But, so, that is... That allows um, a lot of variation in how you want to play your character and picking it up. Um, the last archetype is the Eldritch Knight, which is a close to a sword mage as you were going to get right. before the Blade Dancer came out, which allows you to take like certain uh, spells um, from the wizard's spell, uh, spell book. Right. Which, once again, gives you more versatility. So now not only are you fighting with a sword, but you're fighting with sword and bl- spell and blade. Right. Which it gives... kind
1: of is, with this one in particular, it is, it's similar to taking a multi class. Mm-hmm. Very similar, that, yeah. In the sense that you're a character that doesn't really have any magical ability, and then you hit level three, take that archetype, and now you do. Right. So it, you know it has the similar aspects to a multi-class, it's like a but any multi-class, yeah, but it's built into to your into character already, and so you're still getting, which you know a big advantage to this. If instead of taking fighter levels and multi-classing and a mage, you still get the fighter hit points and the fighter hit die, right, which are considerably higher than the
2: mages and, or the wizards. And let's face it. Casting haste on yourself as a fire is pretty awesome. Right, yes.
0: um, and there's there's other things like at level seven when you use your action to as a cast a cantrip you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action so that allows you to attack from a range right. and then move in and slice somebody up or attack two different targets or what have you. So and then I think at level ten you can uh, you can teleport. No, that's level fifteen. You can teleport in a charge when you use your action surge, so which is pretty cool. Um, so it allows more variation. Each each class has different archetypes. Um, they've got varying levels of them, but
2: some only have two. Some have way more. Yeah, the, right. the
0: cleric and the the wizard have. Yeah, a for lot example, of the
1: bard and the barbarian only have two. Right. Yes. And the yeah. druid. And the druid. Yeah, those three only have two. But yeah, the cleric, as we said, has eight. We read all the ones of the wizard. However many there. Yeah, probably wasn't were. necessary. I think okay. sorcerer has it's two. Three. Two? two? It is only two. It has three now with the yeah, new... Yeah, that's right. The, they have the Stormcaller
0: yeah. or whatever it is in the Sword uh, The Tempest. The Tempest? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Tempest Cleric, isn't it?
1: No, yeah. it's what Cody plays. No,
0: that is not in the book. That is an unearthed arcana. Oh, okay. That's why I was so sketchy to put it in. And gotcha. I regretted it immediately when I found that his AC floated at 21 and he would pop shield and make it 20 fucking six. Right. Uh, But he's an optimizer. That's what he does. And that's that's cool with me so archetypes are another way to customize your character so picking a feat will make you different if you if you and your buddy both roll a fighter you pick a feat at level you each pick a feat at level one that's going to determine variation right away then when you guys hit level three you're going to pick an archetype that's going to change variation again if you decide to multi-class that's going to make you different so all these different tools can be used to build the character you want to play right. whether you want to build a sword and board uh, sword mage which is probably
1: not optimized but right. if that's what you want to build they give you the tools to do that and one uh, distinction I think we should make archetypes are different from multiclassing and feats in the sense that you get archetype. You don't have to sacrifice anything to get them. You all you already get them on your level progression. Yes, yeah, you but your care. level
0: progression changes depending on the archetype you build. Right.
1: You take. Yeah. So like all fighters, when they hit fighter level three, they choose an archetype. Right. They don't sacrifice anything to get that archetype. Um, I think that yeah, that's a distinction that we should make. Okay.
0: So that's it. That's our main topic: customize your character and how to be unique. <laughs> you can be a special snowflake.
1: Yes, you can. Or a raindrop. Moving on to Or a leaf. Or a thumbprint. Or a thumbprint. <laughs> so moving on to our third and Justin's favorite segment of the podcast. It's true. We have our unearthed tips and tricks. I like this segment almost as much as I like sex. That's okay, not true. maybe a little more. <laughs> <laughs> For our first UTT of the podcast, we have our character concept, which is
0: The Breaker of the Fourth Wall. Let's be honest. Who loves Deadpool? Everybody <laughs> loves Deadpool. But the success of the movie, it's just become popular. So why not have a character that's like that? And actually, you had an interesting uh, I- uh, idea for this. So yeah, I um, a couple,
1: yeah, a couple months ago, I came up with a character I, concept where the character was me. Finally, he provided some content to all <laughs> this shit. Where the character, I came up with a concept where the character was me. Um, essentially, the, the backstory of the character was Ryan, was going to his weekly D&D game at his friend's house when something went wrong and they all got sucked into the game. And now they're all in this different world, all, in these, all all spread around this world and they're trying to find their way home. The catch is when you tell someone else you're from a different world and that your world is fake, they don't really believe you and they think you're kind of crazy. So it kind of create it I think it would create a cool a uh, cool I think it would create kind of a cool rapport between characters where, you know, your character, at least he believes he's from a different world. Mm. And I think it's fun because, you know, my idea was he was a bard. And he, the only, the reason he was a bard is because, you know, being a normal person, when he arrived here, he mm. didn't have any extraordinary abilities. You know, he was just me. He's a normal person. And so he gets in this world and he's walking down the road one day and he's singing on there's just, the bodies hit the floor and a thunder wave shoots out from it, or, or something like that, you know. Blinded by the light and a light shoots out, you know, light cantrip cast or something like that. And I think I think it creates a really fun, cool I, cool thing going on where your character's just singing songs that he knows from the real world and everyone else is like, oh my god, what are these
0: spells? This is so amazing! Right, right. I think that um, one of the coolest things that would would come from that is your character would miss some of the Quality of life things that we have, right. like a toilet.
1: Yeah, Did you constantly yeah, kind of complain about have to crap, leaning up, up against a tree, or how there's no air conditioning. And, you know how you, how you got to ride a uh, horse instead yeah. of take a car, or you have to travel days just to tell someone, send a message to someone. You can't just text them. What <laughs> the sun spells for you. But you I know. could definitely even see if he does a have his phone, even if you know you have a cell phone, but you're sitting here trying to use it and it's just not doing anything.
0: I mean, and I, I could just imagine you engaged in combat with a powerful wizard and you see arcane energy circling his body and forming into a blazing fireball and the first thing that comes to your mind is I really hope my deck score is high enough to dodge this. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, because that's the whole thing is the
0: character knows it's a game. Right. And uh... I think that that would create a lot of fun especially if the DM really took the lead on that and had the NPCs, NPCs respond to some of the, right. uh, the claims you're making, <laughs> some of the right. things you're saying, talking about what, what pray tell is an automobile, right. you know?
1: Well, and the thing, with the thing about this type of character concept is if you're running a campaign like Curse of Strahd, we're supposed to be that like kind of horror, creepy, this isn't the kind of character concept you want to, you want to run. If you're running a very serious campaign, this isn't the kind of character concept you're probably going to want to run. Right. You know, this is more for like the lighthearted kind of comedic style campaign. No, you might be able to fit it into a serious campaign, and, you know, you're just the annoying dude in the background doing stupid stuff, but that's more, you know, something you want to sit down with your DM and your other players and discuss.
0: Uh, all right, so that is our character concept of the podcast, The Breaker of the Fourth Wall.
1: So moving on to our encounter of the podcast, we have... Justin found this one, um, and it's a idea of a burrowing parasite. Yeah. You
0: the idea is that you have... Some sort of monster, an enemy, who has little tiny creatures living all over him. And when either he is struck, they fall off, or he has an attack and they come flying off of him. And what they do is when they they strike a player, they have, and they succeed, they burrow themselves under the skin of the player. And they gradually work their way to their heart. Yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long time kind since I like played it. Kinda of like, like them sk- them Yes, inside. yes, from the mummies. That's yeah. exact it. I'm bugging now. I know I, I know I got it from somewhere. Um but anyway, so they burrow into your skin and they work their way gradually to your heart. And I'll tell you what, um, if you've got somebody that's a medicine person or has any idea what this these things are, it can be freaky. Because the goal is they are going to either do ongoing damage or you mentioned maybe take over Take over the host, right. um, like an intellect devourer or something, or just outright kill the person over a, a certain amount of time. This force, if this happens during combat, it forces them to think differently. I know when this was used on me against a player that I had used it on previously a year before, my character freaked out and lopped off his hand because there was something underneath him crawling up his arm. Right. So he just went right. off with his hand. And that was his solution, but all the other players... Did you put a chainsaw on the end? No, I did not put a chainsaw on the end. That would have been awesome, though. No, I went to a... It was a higher-level campaign, but... Well, I just went and had it made again, but...
1: All... <laughs> Merle from the Walking Dead. Uh... <laughs> all the
0: uh... other players were freaking out trying to figure out unique ways to deal with it. So once the enemy was dealt with, they still had this creature burrowing in their skin.
3: Right. So we had...
0: Uh... You gotta have the the magicians and the the, the <clears> healers <throat> try to figure out how to deal
2: with it. Don't well, move the healer, the lightning.
0: <laughs> um, that actually was one of the solutions: is to try to kill it by shocking the sh- person and f- actually freezing them. I think is what they did. They just tried to freeze the person's leg, um, so the thing couldn't move mm. anymore, and hopefully kill it and, it. and the DM let that work, but it forced a whole new encounter after the combat encounter. Right. There was this collection of um roles that were going on to try to identify this what is this, what can we do, how bad is it for us. Luckily we had somebody that who was building a uh a bestiary of everything we ran into. And uh so he had a lot of lore and stuff. So he was able to recall that he read about something this in some ancient script and that it burrows in and eats your heart or um so uh, mechan- you can resolve this differently, uh, different depending on the mechanic you want to use, whether it's damage over time. When I had used it, it was incrementing damage, so it started off as a d6, and then every round it went up. Two d6, so the, longer, the longer this thing was burrowing into their skin, I mean, and the, they, the players are just screaming and yelling, and they're, they're, they're losing their mind because they can feel it eating at their innards as it's burrowing yeah. through, and it put a lot of tension. Because now they know it's a race against the clock. And if they fail, well, you're going to probably die. Um, but that's a much more serious encounter um, that I think should have a real deadly outcome.
3: Right.
0: On the other note, you mentioned earlier having a mind-controlled, uh, mind right, taken over. Well, if they are unable to do it, maybe it crawls and burrows itself into the brain like an intellect devourer. Now that's a whole new, right. whole new character. Maybe, maybe the, the DM will give out additional flaws here's some new flaws and new character traits you now have because you failed to do anything about this. So there's a couple different ways you can go. But that's our encounter on the podcast. The
1: Burrowing Parasite. For our magic item of the podcast, we have the Great Sword
2: of Cleaving. The Great Sword of Cleaving. Whenever you deliver a killing blow, you sweep your weapon in a massive arc, cleaving a nearby foe. You may make an attack roll against an adjacent creature. Access damage beyond what is needed to deliver a fatal blow may, de- may be dealt to a creature adjacent to the target. This effect may occur only once per turn. So this does m-
1: slightly resemble a feat that is in the game, which mm-hmm. is the Great Weapon Master, yep. but it is altered. So the Great Weapon Master, it allows you to make, re-roll your damage to another. Just make a whole new attack against right. another target. With this, let's say you're fighting some kobolds. You roll... You, you know, you roll... 14 damage. The first one has 8 hit points. You kill him. So you have 6 more damage that carries on to the next guy. If he only has 4 hit points, then you kill him, and well, you can roll to hit the next guy. And if you hit, then he only has 4 hit points. You kill him too. You can roll again to try to hit the third guy with the extra 2 damage. Oh, well, you can only do it once? It, it, That's what it means it, by once per turn? I yes. thought you meant you can only do the thing once. not no, you can only carry yeah, on. You only cleave, okay.
0: cleave once per so
1: time. let's say you're fighting some kobolds. You roll twelve damage. The first the first guy has eight hit points. You kill him. You roll another attack roll. If you hit, that remaining six damage carries over to the next, or four damage carries over to the next guy. So now, if that guy has eight hit points as well, now he's down to four hit points.
2: He never lands feet. hit points. He's dead.
1: Right. Whereas with the great weapon master, if you kill that first kobold that has eight hit points, you roll an attack on the next guy. You reroll damage. You could do twelve damage again. Right.
0: Can. Right. Right. And and this this is designed to. Uh, originally solved two issues first my character my my player was really upset that i've got a great giant weapon why can't i cleave why can't i hit two targets now i told him he can take the feet but he wouldn't get that to level four right so i passed this off to him at level three which wasn't a huge change but was enough of a change that he ended up not wanting to take the feet um so it kind of supplemented his feet and he was able to do something else with it um,
2: and in his defense, cleef was a more was a feature addition that you, you could grab a lot sooner too. So
1: that's your magical item of the podcast, the Great Sword of Cleaving. Our Dungeon Master's tip of the podcast is just to roll with it.
0: Yes, please do. There's you. I understand as a DM, we put a lot of work into every single, right. st- the entire structure, the entire process of what we want to happen
2: right but
0: you have gotta have wiggle room try not to railroad
2: your players you and know. quite frankly your players are going to come up with something that you didn't think of it's not if right. it's win. and, and,
0: and, and the, the point is to let them yeah. when they do that go with it it's you're it's, not the only person with good ideas right and the whole idea behind D is to be a collaborative game experience and if you create everything and it's all predetermined They're not really collaboratively building that.
1: Right. It's fun for you, and it's a really cool experience and immersive experience for you, but it's not necessarily as fun and immersive for the And and I'm
0: not talking you need to let them design an entire encounter or anything like that. Maybe they're walking through a, a mage's terrace, and they say, Hey, I wonder if there's any secret rooms around here. There might not be, but maybe you decide, You know what, if they roll high enough, I'll put one there. Right. They may not ever know that they had any input in it.
1: Right, and, you know, if it will, ro- if you've already kind of, you know, if you, before you even set the campaign, you kind of have the plot line of the entire thing wrote out, in mm-hmm. a sense, and you know kind of where you want to go, but then one of your players has a really cool idea for, like, their backstory, where they want to have this, like, side quest that they're constantly doing. Right. You know, if you can fit it in, and it's not going to take away too much from the other player's experience, try to roll with that and try to use that, because that can... Even though you're doing something specifically for that player's side quest, it can prove to be fun and interesting for the other players as well, and it can mm-hmm. emote, It can attach the group to each other emotionally. Right, and
0: I, I, I agree, but it, the big point is that w- they put all the work into this stuff, use it. Whether it's part of the backstory, or whether it's something that's built on the fly, you know, try to roll with it, because if you constantly railroad it, they're going to feel like they're along just for the ride, and not helping build the experience. As a player, I've I've been on all ends of the spectrum, and I personally, I personally prefer sandboxing because I like my choices having a difference. Right. I like when you say, okay, there's two quests on the mission board or whatever source you're getting your quests. Right. Maybe the noble says you got, all right, well we've got two problems we got to deal with. Our neighboring town is being attacked by kobolds, and the miners are being, or the farmers are all being attacked uh, a couple miles to the east. I need you to address one. Well, you now gave them a choice. Well they decide that you're expecting them to pick one or the other.
1: They decide to do neither. Well, you know what? And they <laughs> might.
0: So you have to come up with something else. But maybe they decide they want to fight it on both fronts. And oh, they come okay. up with an idea. That's not part of your plan. You had this big elaborate plan that okay, if they go save the farmers, that village is gonna burn. But they decide that, well, we're gonna try this instead. It's gonna mess up your plans, but you know what? That's their choice. That's something they want to do. Don't just say and people do this. Well, you can only do one, because maybe they can. Maybe they can come up with a unique way to solve both problems.
1: You know, maybe they try to and they fail and they (laughs) lose the farms and you know. So there got to be consequences. Yeah, don't don't forget that failure is an option. You know, failure is possible. Definitely. So that wraps up our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast. Just go along with the game.
0: Let it roll and incorporate their thoughts into your game. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't be
1: a dick. And you, and can, you can avoid, avoid dickitude by, by... Being creative with your with your character. You know, Don't build the same character that everyone else in your party is playing. I'd like to point out the irony of Mr. Rogue over here. Hey, you know, I do play rogues a lot, but I tend to make them different. You ever played an Arcane Trickster? I have, and they're a lot of fun.
0: Be creative, come up with unique builds, don't always focus on optimization. Right. You know, take a... Take an actor feat. Take an observant feat. Take something that makes your character's personality pop, right. as opposed to well, "I got to take this feat because it's going to make me do the most damage." Be creative. Come up with unique ways to play your character. Don't play the same. If you're gonna... if you like your rogue and you want to stick with that rogue, change it up when you play a new right. rogue all the time. Right. You know, maybe one time you're assassin. Maybe the next time you're an arcane trickster. Maybe you're uh, a thief and you don't like to fight. And you focus on getting your bluff stat as high as you can so you can just get out of every
1: fight. Exactly, yeah. You know, there are a lot of, you know, and what this entire podcast has been about is customizing your character and the different options. Don't be afraid to use those options. Don't be afraid to use the feats and the multiclassing and, you know, choosing the archetype that most Closely resembles what you want to play this character as. Make your character as unique as possible, yeah. and make it as fun and different as possible. Try to make the experience unique and fun for everyone else as well as yourself.
0: Um, I'd like to thank uh, Ian for joining us again today. We appreciate it. Yep, as always, gotta hang out with you guys. It's
2: true, very boring. Yeah, well, we we enjoy having you. Please join us for our next episode where we hear feedback from our heroes. We will discuss how to build awe-inspiring encounters.
0: We hope you enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help others find our episode by leaving a hopefully five-star review.
1: You can also subscribe to us so that we can help you on your future adventures. If you have any questions you want us to answer or subjects you'd like to hear us discuss, please leave us feedback on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy, or you can email us at critacademy at gmail.com. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. Thanks for listening. Keep
0: your blades sharp and spells prepared, hero.